The year is 1197 and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross, and the lupines of the wild, the elder Cainites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence, and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 12 of the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, Peter, what are you up to these days? Uh, currently, there's a lot of snow, which is actually quite welcome, because, uh, or, or rather, uh, I should rather say that uh, it's both snowing and cold. Uh, in the recent time, we've had uh, not both at the same time, so it's either been kind of cold or it's been snowing. Uh, which just causes this slushy wetness, which then freezes over. But now we have this really fantastic, beautiful white snow. Uh, and I don't know if people can hear me, but there's there's a dog whining who wants to get outside to play in the snow. So if, <laughs> if you hear any strange noises, that's that's probably it. Uh, yeah, I can. I, I think I can hear maybe some claws on a tile floor or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's on the wooden floor. So. Ah. Yeah, yeah, we've we've um, we've not gotten to that point yet. We've had either cold or snow. We haven't had snow that's been on the ground for more than maybe a couple of hours maximum. So oh yeah, yeah, that's excellent. No, this is really beautiful. It's and but it, it's the kind of cold where where you go outside and uh, before you get adjusted to it, you. Uh, you can feel the snot in your nose freezing, basically. Ah, so, yeah. But yeah. then, of course, um, even though I'm on the east side of Denmark, I'm still we're still sort of warmed by the um, by the Gulf Stream and a bit more south. Whereas you're on the uh, on the east coast of Sweden, so you've yeah. got you've got all of the Baltic Sea, which doesn't get that heated up. No, exactly. So, uh, but again, it's it's beautiful, and I really like it. And it's it's actual weather instead of just some kind of confused mess. Yeah, confused mess. That's a very good exp- uh, explanation of how weather is in Denmark. It's <laughs> much of the time it's it's just you know gray, and it could be early spring, it could be late fall, it could be in the middle of winter. That's Denmark for you. So, so, so what do you say we we leave this wintry mess and go somewhere hotter? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I think that there is. Um, there, there are some people who might uh, appreciate us saying that we're uh, going to Jerusalem for the weather. There's an, an old uh, Danish joke about uh, buying two papers uh, and one of them being the Jerusalem Post just for the weather forecast. Oh, um, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, as mentioned, uh, the book we're taking a look at today... Um, Jerusalem by Night. That's one that I hadn't actually read until prepping for this episode. I uh, just browsed through it for a project. So I came to this with almost completely fresh eyes. Um, It's written by Jen Clodius Tot Satogata and James A. Moore with fiction by Janet Berliner, developed by Richard E. Dansky. So the cover is pretty cool. It's depicting what I assume to be the Siege of Jerusalem in 1099. However, it's got a few problems, mainly in the guy who's on the right side of the picture, who kind of looks like he stepped out of a fantasy world. Yeah, he did. Uh, and I, I, I agree. It's, it's a very cool uh, picture, and it's very evocative. You can see basically the whole city burning in the night and, and the flames and smoke rising to the sky and uh, people uh, making a breach in the wall and, and just storming in. But but yeah, the the guy on the right, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. He looks like something out of a, a fantasy novel. With, yeah, with the massive it, shoulder plates and yeah. seems to wear no armor on his head or legs um, and this buckler-sized heater shield on his back where he actually can't reach it. Yeah, so. that's that's problematic, and I I don't know if it's supposed to be a spear or some kind of stuff that is holding, but it's yeah, it, it's all kinds of weird. But again, it looks kind of cool. Yeah, uh, but but there's just so many things wrong with it. His cloak is under his shoulder armor, so you can't actually take his cloak off without taking off the armor. And yeah. I mean, his sword doesn't look half bad, on, but it's on the outside of his cloak, uh, meaning that he'll be tripping on that cloak more. Uh, often than not, so it, yeah. it's 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 a mess. 
Um, he he does actually have. They they don't really look historical in the way they look, but but they are matching uh, in his his sword and dagger that is carried. And yeah. at about this time, it it actually became a bit of a fashion to have. Um, to have a matching sword and dagger if you were some kind of, of martial person. Mm. Oh, and uh, one thing I, I noticed when I was sort of looking at the battle scene, they, they have a rather weird siege engine. They have a counterweight trebuchet, but it has a crossbar stop like you would expect on a catapult, which goes completely counter yeah. to how <laughs> counterweight trebuchet yeah, works. Yeah, or, or it's a very badly drawn so anyway the interior art uh, is all black and white a few pictures that are very clear and nicely done but most of them in a some are in a somewhat line arty uh, style or in the style that that we've referred to as shaky cam not that this is necessarily bad and there are some very good pieces that really help set the mood are there any pictures that you particularly want to point out or talk about no actually not it's it's overall uh like you said, it's it's the kind of shaky cam that I'm I'm not a huge fan of, but it's it's well done and it's it, it it's very evocative. And you have uh, one of the first picture is what I assume is supposed to be a crusader or armed pilgrim. Uh, is that on page his, six? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Le- leaving his his wife and home in Europe, going out and probably never coming back, uh, which is is uh, really nice. Uh, and as you mentioned as well, it's um, it suits the book, it suits the themes. Um, what I was kind of disappointed in was that uh, a lot of the portrait for the uh, non-player characters that there is a whole chapter dedicated to are all rather small and boring. And and again, it's it feels like some of them don't really look medieval. It just looks like a random. Uh, like a, a random mugshot uh, that could fit in in modern times as well. Yeah, you don't get much personality from them. Yeah, exactly. And and I feel that in since they put so much time and energy into to writing these characters, and, and there's a huge chapter on just the NPCs, I feel that it it would be really cool and suitable to to have proper. Uh, portraits or pictures of at least a few of them because if if nothing else in the example characters that we see in, in other books where it's just the example character you have uh, not not a full page but you have at least a, a full body picture of of those people so why can't these really important NPCs have something similar yeah exactly they could have zoomed out a bit more so I I totally agree with you on that um, yeah, you've already touched on the one on page six, which I also think is a really cool uh, picture. Like his kit is perfect with kite shield and and everything, and he has a sword slung on his back, which is something that you could complain about because if if you if you go online and, and look up videos about swords on backs, you'll find <laughs> yeah, yeah. a ton of videos about that. But the thing is, he's getting ready for a very long journey rather yeah. than about to go to war. So it makes sense that he just slings a sword on his back because he's not in a situation where he's thinking, I'm going to have to draw this at some point. It's more like, I want to carry this uh, the, the most comfortable way. Yeah, and, yeah. and he's, he's also holding uh, a rather long walking staff. So, yeah. so if something happens, he can just whack at it so yeah exactly um so on page 30 we have a crusaders versus muslim composition which i think is supposed to be the battle of hatton uh and while the crusaders they're appropriately attired the one muslim we can see is wielding a short broad curved blade uh of a type that was actually never used in the middle east especially not at the time of hatton it looks quite like a 14th century european falchion um so this this goes with the the traditional ooh the the muslim had curved swords yeah and which and you for know some yeah sorry go ahead. no no go go right ahead yeah i'm just saying that and he also seems to be wearing nothing but uh, a turban which is kind of weird so he, yeah. he gets to show off his guns but if if you're facing a bunch of of heavily armed and armored uh, European crusaders, you would probably want something more. Yeah, but overall, I mean, when you, apart from this, when you see depictions in the, this book of um, shields, armor, um, weapons, that sort of thing, uh, compared to other books, this this really is spot on. Uh, we have on page thirty-four, a European knight with the appropriate equipment, page uh, one twenty-one. The shield might be a bit fancy, uh, fantasy-like, but overall. This yeah. book, I think, 
it has is an improvement from uh, the point of weapons and armor, which is what what I tend to uh, to look for. I don't know if you think there was enough hats, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's quite a lot of helmets at least, and and that's that is true. Something. And and a, and a few fancy turbans here and there as well. So mm. so yeah, yeah, it's something. Excellent. Uh, and and again, if if you live down in in the Middle East, you you want some kind of head covering. Uh, or, or at least if you're mortal, because you want something to protect you against the sun. Uh, exactly. Which, if nothing else, Lawrence of Arabia figured out when he was there uh, a few hundred years later. So yeah. Uh, so so yeah. Uh, hats hats are good, uh, and they're there for a reason. Exactly. So we start the book with two pages of mood art and a quote from Paradise Lost. And I think we've spoken enough about these two-page intro mood setters. Um, The info page has a note about the spiritual importance of Jerusalem and ensures the reader that the righteous have full respect for all the religions that consider Jerusalem a holy city, which, given religious tensions and the reverence people hold this city in, I feel is a good choice to put there. Yeah. And and it's you you could almost say that it's even more important today than it was when this book came out uh, with with the current goings on and and the the kind of moral panic that is going on in in certain places of the world yeah exactly so i should probably also mention i mean we're we're both atheists but obviously we're going to uh, treat this with as much respect as the book does yeah. as well because you know there's no reason to uh, to mm. to do otherwise um yeah. Before the introduction, we have an intro story of about three and a half pages. It was certainly well written, but I really didn't think it added anything to the book. No, it's yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it's about uh, a Muslim and uh, and and a Jewish family, and and the Muslims are are visiting them for, uh, for is it Passover? I think it, uh, it, it was Pesach. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and then they are uh, because they are kind of the, the two religions that after the first crusade and the uh, the conquest of Jerusalem uh, b- both both the the Jewish and uh, the Muslim uh, citizens kind of realize that okay these these Christians that are coming here now are are kind of crazy so we could we should probably kind of uh, break bread with each other in this case yeah. quite literally uh, and then they are visited by. Uh, by a, uh, a a vampire uh, and yeah, like you said, it's it's well written and I I like this kind of thing between the the Jewish and and uh, the Muslim uh, that that works really well and you can tell that the person who wrote this uh, did the research, uh, uh, but but yeah, it, it doesn't really add anything to it, um, especially since if I'm not mistaken. None of these characters show up as NPCs. No, or exactly. Even so again later you, you're, you're kind of thinking like, okay, it's a it's a cool story, but but what does it contribute yeah. to a book about uh, Jerusalem in Vampire the Masquerade? So, well, the introduction yeah. um, is fairly lengthy, giving what I think is a nice intro to the subject of the book, which is the city of Jerusalem, as well as a small sidebar about the city's destiny. Incidentally, the sidebars in this book all have background pictures that often make them hard to read, and that annoyed me. Yeah, me too. I, I was going to mention that <laughs> when we talked about the layout. Some of the pictures in the background are kind of cool and, and fitting. Uh, so, for instance, the... Uh, the background picture on the sidebar on on the destiny of Jerusalem is um, uh, a skeleton uh, holding what I assume is a scythe or yeah. a shovel or some kind kind of fatalistic and and on the nose. But but yeah, like you mentioned, a lot of them makes it really hard to read the the actual text. Yeah. So so I mean, very appropriate from uh, an artistic standpoint. Bit difficult from a practical one. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we get a short lexicon of Arabic terms, mainly relating to Islam, and a very long list of references and recommended reading. One thing that I found interesting is that we only get a lexicon uh, of um, of um, of Arabic terms relating to Islam. Um, you know, I we don't get a lexicon of Hebrew terms relating to Judaism, and I think this might be because this is a book written in the U.S. by Americans. Back when this book was written, uh, I would have known many of the Arabic terms that they uh, present, but very little about Judaism. Whereas I think the average Gentile American back in 1999 would be a lot more likely 
to have a passing knowledge of Judaism uh, than than of Islam. Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, I I'm, I'm looking through it now, and I I I know quite a few of these words, or at least I'm familiar with them. Uh, but this was, yeah, I yeah, this this should probably have come out in in about a time where I would have been. Uh, studying basic um, religion in in junior high school basically and and we we went through um, not not only christianity but a lot of other religions so so uh, the abrahamic faiths and and uh, other stuffs as well so so the the five pillars for example is is a concept that i'm i was familiar with even back then yeah uh, but but yeah that's that's a good point so do you have any more thoughts on the introduction anything that that uh, you thought was interesting there uh no again like you you said it's uh, or, or rather i should say that it's it's a very good lexicon it it has the phrases that you could actually use and include yeah. and it's it's not some obscure or obvious things that that you would either never use or you would already know so so yeah it's it's a good one yeah so um chapter one is the history of uh, jerusalem and before we get uh, really into this chapter there's something i want to discuss and it might be a bit controversial this book is the first that uses uh, BCE, before Common Era, and CE, Common Era, rather than BC and AD. Uh, they have a little uh, sidebar explaining that to quote, this is to create a more neutral history rather than privilege the Christian tradition. Mm. Now, while I can understand this, and I think it is laudable, it is still 100% based in the Christian dating system. Yep. So BCE corresponds to BC and CE to AD. I think that, you know, they're still using the same dates for before and after uh, as the Christian dating system does. So using BCE and CE just add a bit, adds a bit of confusion. It doesn't actually re remove the focus from it being the Christian way of doing things because they still set... Uh, the the zero point uh, mm. the same way that that the Christian uh, dating system does. If they really yeah. wanted to make it neutral, they should have used a neutral dating system. Uh, I if I recall, the problem is that we don't have one. So that, well, that is I a think, bit. I think there was one suggested at some point where year zero was when the first nuclear bomb was set off because that forever screwed <laughs> up carbon fourteen dating. Um, oh, yeah, but yeah, I'm that's... I'm not sure about that. So you're you're right. There is there is no neutral system, and if they used an actual neutral system, you'd confuse the hell out of people. Yeah, because so they wouldn't I... be used to when year zero was. But it's just yeah. Yeah, I yeah. I also think that it it might be a result of the extensive reading list that they went through and um, and that we mentioned as well that uh, because using BC and BCE is is very common in in history. Uh, especially yeah. if if you study it in university and and I can't remember who wrote it, but there is this huge book that I have somewhere which is basically the world history, uh, and um, and he uh, the, the author that uses BC and BC. Um, so yeah, but but it's it's a very good point that BC and BCE isn't really neutral either, but. We don't really have any other options. No. Anyway, I mean, it's I, I can I once again I can understand why they did. I can understand why they didn't want to use what what, you know, a wording that is very specific to, uh, to Christianity. But they're still they're still using the the Christian dating system. Anyway. Yeah. Onto the actual history. There is mm. a lot of it. Um, and I think it is very well <laughs> written, giving an interesting and thorough look at thousands of years of history. Um, is there anything you want to talk about uh, in this chapter, this history chapter? Uh, not, not really. Or, or I, I want to say that I, I agree with your assessment that it's, um, it's from what I can tell, very accurate. There, there are a few dates and years that I'm, I'm wondering if they have gotten them confused, like when, when Jerusalem actually became a part of the Roman Empire. But it, it might just be that the, the, the sentence. Uh, written what isn't really that okay now now my words are failing me but but <laughs> the, the way that they write it aren't, aren't really accurate and uh, and and spot on so that you get a bit confused when reading it but but yeah over, overall i enjoy it uh, and they and they another thing i like is that they actually make a point of 
of not making everything the actions of, of canines and, and vampires. So, uh, and they mentioned that in, in a kind of caveat in the beginning that this, in, this isn't supposed to be a book where, um, where everything and everything, everyone is, uh, is a vampire or a werewolf or, or something else, uh, which, which I like. But then again, then then they have um, uh, later on they, they mentioned that that one of the um, the, the so-called lizard who, who was a ruler of Jerusalem who went yeah. mad and uh, he actually shows up as a Malkavian in the NPC section. So so they kind of go against their whole no nothing is is due to Canaanites except this really really huge thing yeah which well kind of annoyed me he's not well actually we'll get to him when we get to the NPCs but but I actually kind of like him I wanted to defend his inclusion oh. but we can get to that um yeah. so you're, you're right actually I I think they actually went too far in the other direction because I kind of missed uh more Canaanite involvement not necessarily that the Canaanites were responsible for big things but um we there are some mentions of vampire activity and involvement, but surprisingly little, given this is a vampire book, you don't really get a sense of uh, the vampire history in this book. It's almost like the writers got caught up in the admittedly fantastic and engaging history of Jerusalem and forgot that this is a World of Darkness book and they needed to tie in with Canaanite history. So yeah, yeah. If, you want, if you want a history of how Canaanites acted and were involved with Jerusalem... You have this chapter, then you have you you have to read through the backgrounds of various NPCs in the NPC chapter, and then you're going to have to fill in some stuff yourself. Um, so I, I could have used a little bit more of that, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, that, that's a really good point, and I think that might also hark back to the fact that since this is a very touchy subject, because a lot of the history of of Jerusalem is also the history of uh, of the Bible and and the Torah uh, and the Quran. Uh, and and so I think that it might be a bit sensitive to yeah. uh, on the border of, of insensitivity to to try to change too much of it because you could easily step on on people's toes if you do that. So so yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's it's actually a very good point. Mm. Uh, but you're you're absolutely right. It is yeah. it is tricky waters to navigate. Mm. So, so, but 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 yeah, it's uh, it's very well written, if if nothing else. But yeah, and and if you're the kind of, of storyteller who who likes doing all of this yourself, you have a very steady base to to build on. Uh, so so yeah, you could you could easily just fill in and and change out what you want it, uh, the things that you want it to be uh, of of a vampiric origin or or influence. You could easily do that. Yeah. Um, at the end of the chapter, we get a little teaser for an upcoming, at that point, book called Fountains of Bright Crimson, which deals with vampires going berserk when the Crusaders sacked Jerusalem in 1099. And we'll obviously get to this book. I, that's a, a scenario book. So I'm really interested uh, because the only other scenario book we looked at, um, we I, I think we can say we weren't exactly impressed by that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, okay. So. Yeah. So chapter two is relatively short and it looks at mortal and canine religious society. I thought this was exceptionally well written, giving good insights into all three Abrahamic religions in the Middle Ages with most focused on Islam. In fact, there's a lot of info here that I think could have would uh, could have been cool to have in the core book um, of a vampire. Uh, the last parts of the chapter looks at the problem Jewish and Muslim vampires have with the fact that their religious text explicitly forbids the eating of blood uh, and ways they try to get around it. Uh, all in all, I love this chapter, and based on what knowledge I have of Christianity, Judaism, Islam, I didn't really find any faults here. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with that, and um, I, I especially love, love the way it is written because you have, and you have it in the previous chapter as well, this kind of, I, I would, I almost want to say snide remarks on, on how, um, at least at times, how, how counterintuitive and, and counter to itself that, that religion uh, sometimes or even often can be. Uh, and and so you, and and also the like the the real world politics of um, of, of supposedly mortal enemies working together and and uh, religions not supposed to be um, 
able to to mix that they actually do and and all of this overlap so uh, and you you have these snide remarks that oh isn't it strange that that these things are going on even though they shouldn't um and and um, uh especially when it comes to the uh drinking of blood i i really loved it because it's 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 the kind of thinking that that is is very much a part of or, or I should say it can be uh, very much a part of, of how uh, some religious people think that yeah it's it's okay because it doesn't explicitly state this so it's it's the kind of rules as written versus rules as intended discussion exactly that, that, that most uh, or I I would probably guess all role players have had at one point or the other um, and. One of them that I wanted to bring up was was exactly this with the drinking of the blood, uh, because there is uh, in, uh, in in Islam you you have a prohibition against drinking alcohol, but at the same time there is uh, actually a, a verse um, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is the uh, 16th surah and the 67th verse, which basically states that. Uh, you can make intoxicant uh, beverages from the fruits of, of palm trees and and uh, grape wines, and in there is great wisdom for those who um, who have the knowledge or who have good common sense. Uh, and some people apparently think that that makes it okay to drink alcohol. Other people point out that well, later on in the Quran there's uh, a general prohibition against all kinds of intoxicants. So that overrides that. So, so you have this whole kind of almost legalistic discussion of, of what is okay. Um, yeah, and if, if anyone has looked into the debates that have uh, happened in, for example, Christianity, oh, all yeah. the way from the first council of Nicaea onwards, the... the, the mm, minute points that they are willing to debate is just amazing and i think just this this section on the excuses that vampires make as to why they get to drink blood um i think this should be required reading for just about anyone wanting to play a vampire in uh in the dark ages setting because it just it really shows you uh, how vampires have to think about religion i mean even if you're not a religious vampire um, you will have to relate to religion because religion's all around you. And um, it's just, I think it is so well written. And I'm thinking, I mean, you've studied law. So I'm, I'm guessing yeah. this kind of trying to get around the, the rules is, is something that you've you've dealt with. Yeah, yeah, I, I have. And, and if if anyone wants a, a Christian example of these kinds of discussion, I, I would advise you to, uh, to look up the, the actual pretty serious debates going on in i think it was the early 13th century uh about whether or not jesus uh had money because it it says in the bible that he has a purse mm. but it doesn't specifically says that he ha has any money in that purse <laughs> so so the you have the franciscans and uh, the benedictines and the dominicans arguing about that, this uh, and and because the especially the Dominicans uh, they they want to interpret that as that means that the church uh, can can own property and and have wealth, whereas especially it's the Benedict Benedictines which are the uh, pauper friars, right? Yeah. Uh, they they go the other way that well they it doesn't say that they has any money in it, so that means that the the clergy should should uh, uh, take vows of poverty. Uh, and it's probably best, you, you can see uh, this depicted very well in both the book and uh, the movie with Sean Connery uh, of Umberto Eco's um, uh, The Name of the Rose. Uh, yeah, uh, that is an amazing movie. I hadn't read the book, I should perhaps at some point, but the movie, mm. I love that movie. So so yeah, and, and as a, just as a general trivia and a side note, um, there is... Uh, well, now I think there are more than one, but the, the kind of like basic uh, accepted uh, uh, translation of, of the Quran into Swedish was made by a, a diplomat um, and a scholar uh, who is called Knut Bernstrom. Uh, 
but then he he actually converted into Islam, which I think oh. is is kind of cool. Uh, and then he took the name Muhammad, so his full name is actually Muhammad Knut Bernstrom, uh, <laughs> which which I just think is is a lovely name. Uh, he he passed away in two thousand and nine, but yeah, it's 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 a really wonderful name. Mm. Uh, Anyway, uh, back on track. But yeah, yeah. once again, I'm, if you have access to the book, or or if you you know if you buy the book, just that that section alone on how vampires yeah. try to get around the restriction. Copy beautiful. it and give it to your players. Yeah, uh, chapter three is about Jerusalem and its environs in 1197. There's an interesting idea they introduce, given the fact that Jerusalem is the focus of no less than three um, different, but um, what can we say? Uh, Different faiths that are still interconnected. Um, mm. Several places have an ambient true faith rating that can affect vampires, yeah. but they kind of botch the game rules for it. Um, to quickly summarize, various places have a true faith rating. To enter these places, a willpower roll with a difficulty equal to the true faith of the location is needed. So far, so good. However, several places have an ambient true faith rating of 1. So I think people can see the problem here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a difficulty one. Uh, yeah. Okay, I think I'm going to make it. Um, but yeah, the idea of, of places like the Wailing Wall and um, uh, what is a Temple Mount, things like that, having an ambient true faith, that is, that is uh, you know, that makes a lot of sense because these are really focused centers of worship so uh so it's it's it, it also makes it you know it makes it so that vampires have to worry a bit about how they navigate and and you can have some really fun ideas with yeah. um very pious vampires showing their piety by accepting the the pain and damage that you get from getting close to these yeah it's it's literally literally seeping through the walls and yeah. and i really like that section and and i i immediately started toying with ideas that if you are a Muslim vampire, then you wouldn't be affected by the true faith of uh, of the Muslim holy sites in this particular place, because Christian vampires are affected by uh, by crosses wielded by people with holy faith and stuff like that. But but in this particular place, I, I feel that you could play around with it. So you you could you could almost have invisible boundaries that that the Jewish vampires are safe in their holy places mm. and and the muslim vampires are safe in in their holy places and so on uh, if if you want to do as just just playing around with it at least if you have um a, a very pious vampire uh, i i just feel that it's it's um really enforces the kind of um territorial uh, feel that that or theme rather that that is very much going through uh, oh, yeah, vampire as, as a game in in uh, yeah, yeah, and, and and even more so in this book where they really talk about territory. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, and uh, and another thing that I like is that they have uh, they have some maps, not not only of uh, of Jerusalem or, or I wouldn't call it Israel, but but the actual country or the area. Itself, uh, it's called Palestine at this point. Yeah, yeah, ex yeah. That's right. My bad. Or or uh, or Utremir, or the Holy Land, yeah, or the they have a ton yeah. of names for it. Yeah. So so you have that one, so you can actually see um, fairly easily where all the different places are, and again you have the same of Jerusalem, so you can. It's it's not actually a city map, so you don't see the streets, but you can see where uh, they are. The some of like the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is related to David's Tower, mm. uh, in, or rather in relation to each other. Yeah. Um, and and so, another speaking of uh, sorry for for kind yeah, of winding go, go, go. that, but uh, speaking of, of travel, uh, one one thing that I really liked was that they mentioned not only distances between cities, but also how far you would actually have to travel to get there because uh, they they mention it and that's the the roads aren't always straight and they aren't mm. always good so the the winding path that as as the bird flies it might just be 50 miles it could be 70 or even 100 miles the way you have to travel to it uh, which opens up for all kind of fun things when it comes to especially vampires traveling because how far can you actually travel Unless you are a, a teleporting ghoul, uh, <laughs> or or if you don't have magical horses or whatever, yeah. Uh, so so you can set up all these uh, story hooks just for traveling, for example. Exactly. Yeah. 
Um, so I think this chapter is really, really good, much like the mm-hmm. history chapter. But much like the history chapter, I would really like to have had a bit more tie-in with Knights. But you know, it's it's you can you can do some of that your, yourself. I think it's probably easier for people to uh, sort of say, okay, I'm I'm going to develop how Knights tie in with this, rather than it is for people to say, okay, I'm going to have to research more about the layout of medieval Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's kind of like they've done the hard work for you. So. Um, yeah, uh, so we move on to chapter four, which looks at the Canaanites of Jerusalem, uh, and they actually aren't as overpowered as I remembered from my quick browsing of the book. Uh, the one thing that the writers seem to do is toss a ton of different disciplines at the characters. Not yeah. that they, like if you're if one is seventh generation, they have a bunch uh, uh, of, uh, of disciplines at level six, but I th- most, if not all of the characters just have a lot of different disciplines so so they have if you add all the dots together just tons of discipline dots more than i i really think they should have most of them yeah i i haven't been looking especially uh, uh, on that but but i agree that uh, the the power levels are rather arbitrary and oh yeah and also kind of confusing um a thing that i did like is that they have uh, a quite nice mix of, of fairly young vampires and fairly old va- vampires. So, yeah, that so is you don't so just cool. have a bunch of really powerful elders going around. Uh, you, you also have these younger uh, characters trying to find their place or uh, in some cases biting off more than they can chew. Yeah. So I have a few comments on the chapter in general. Uh, I think it's too long, which is probably going to sound very hypocritical to anyone who's read my Denmark by Night book, where I have a huge chapter of NPCs. But it's not that there are necessarily too many characters. It's that the characters are given too lengthy a write-up. It. I feel that some of this could have been stripped and space used in some of the previous chapters. Um... We've talked about the character portraits. I mean, technically they're quite good, but but you know, as you said, they they could they could be just very generic mugshots. Um, what I really felt lacked here, since it isn't covered in the previous chapters, is any kind of information on the power structure of the city's Canaanites. We don't get much of an idea of Canaanite politics in Jerusalem, nor about any courts. There's just one guy who was once the closest thing to being a prince of the city, uh, and he wants to be prince again, but but like, where? who's holding Elysium's? Where are they holding it? What courts are there? We don't really get a sense of that. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with that. It's it's a bit all over the place, um, and and as you mentioned, the the write up, the actual information that we get, is in most cases really good and and quite useful if you want to do this. But but again, like if if you don't want your campaign or or at least part of it to be among these rather huge movers and shakers, then then you don't really have uh, any uh, any room for. For just like, well, is is there a pack of uh, of of gangrel running around with uh, with with street kids, for example, or or is is there a small uh, like, are, are there any ravnos running around trying to uh, sell fake uh, relics to the tourists, stuff like that? <laughs> I, I, and yes, I would... we do mean tourists. Yeah, yeah, literally, and and I think we talked about it in, uh, if nothing else, in a side quest that religious tourism was a huge thing and it oh, yeah. became even even bigger later on when when you couldn't really go to Jeru- jerusalem anymore so you have all these places in in spain and, and rome of course uh, and and selling uh, relics and and not only relics but basically just souvenirs uh, was a huge business uh, which in some ways you could almost say is, is what turned into protestantism when um when you couldn't buy indulgences in, or rather, you could buy indulgences yeah. in Rome, uh, which turned uh, <laughs> into into something else. But that's that's probably something for later. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but but just... yeah, the, the, the every day or or every night kind of dealings that that vampires in Jerusalem are doing. I, I wanted to see something about that. Yeah. Are there any uh, of the characters you specifically want to single out and talk about? Uh, I think should should we do the Malkavian? We have Al Hakim the Lizard, who, as you said, he's a real historical person. 
Um, and I really encourage people to look him up. Go to Wikipedia and search for Al-Hakim uh, Amr Allah. Uh, because he is he's the kind of person that if you read about him and you weren't told he was a real person, you would think that the writer uh, had gone too far in making stuff up. Um, he was he was nuts. Yeah, yeah, he was, uh, and and that's that's kind of one of the reasons why I don't like him uh, as as a vampire because it feels kind of is I, I don't know, especially since he's a Malkavian who are crazy. It, it feels kind of on the nose that oh yeah, of course the crazy person is a Malkavian, uh, and that is I feel kind of a problem with the the Malkavians in general in this chapter is that. They they are a bit stereotypical or or, or almost cliched in in that they are uh, almost at least in my opinion uh, borderlining on on the so called fish milks like they have their shtick and it's like oh look at me I'm God or I'm I'm whatever and it's it's just a bit exaggerated. Uh, Though so, in Al Hakim's case, he did while he was alive claim he was Allah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But but so why why didn't Aventru take advantage of that and embrace him and and use him for their own ends as a, as a political pawn, basically? Well, that I can uh, see. But the thing is, like, um, uh, I I've read a bit more about him. He actually disappeared mysteriously in in our world, in uh, in real world history. Nobody knows what happened to him. He just went out riding one. I think it was actually one evening. And then he disappeared. So if you are going to take a real person, a real historical character, and turn them into a vampire, I think this is how you do it. You take someone who disappeared mysteriously, and then you uh, then you make them into a vampire. And you take someone who was, you know, already a bit far out. Um, for example, in, in the... Um, much maligned for good reasons. Berlin by Night book. Yeah. I can't remember. Is it Himmler that they have as as a vampire? They uh, it's, have it... Himmler and Hess, and yeah. I think also Goering might be. And they, they have a bunch of yeah. Those and assholes. and I think you know that's where I'm starting to think ah, probably yeah. not. But yeah. But I, I mean, it's 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 a matter of taste, and I can certainly also see your points uh, in it. So I I I thought it would be interesting to talk about him since he was one of the ones that I specifically made some notes about. Um, yeah, but I, and I, I can see why it's, it's just, again, I, I feel it's, it's a bit stereotypical and you have another uh, of the Malkavians, uh, Jeanette de Avignon, uh, who I feel was, you, you could actually make her uh, a kind of an interesting character, but she has the kind of split personality that she thinks that, she's either her dead daughter or that she's her mother and, and she's always carrying a doll that either, oh, this is my doll or no, I'm just carrying my my doll for uh, for my daughter. And I think it would be, and, and, and the way it's portrayed, it's it's supposed to be this kind of over the top, like, look at me, I'm, I'm a little girl, but in a grown person's body. Yeah, um, yeah. That and, is something so that they've it, done it a couple of times. It would be a lot more interesting if, if you have, like, if she just thinks that the doll is her actual daughter or if uh, if she is looking for her daughter because she, she's convinced that the daughter is still alive or, or whatever. It's you, you could make something interesting of it, uh, but unfortunately they didn't in, in this particular yeah. case. Um, but, but yeah, I, that's about what I had to say about... Speaking of silly concepts, yeah. uh, in Clan Gangrel we have Canis. Her concept is that she spends all her time in the shape of a large canine, large canine and considers herself more canine than human. I really think this this concept is silly. They, they do their best to sort of present it in an interesting way, Yeah, but I just don't think that they, they manage to do it. Um, yeah, so... and, and I agree because I, in in one way, I find the idea uh, is is really interesting, and I would love to have seen it work, but it just doesn't. Uh, Canis, of course, is is Latin for dog. Uh, yeah. I would have loved to see if they just looked up the, the like the Hebrew or the the Babylonian word. For oh, dog. that would have because, been awesome! Yeah, because she's supposed to have been around for. Uh, ages literally. yeah like oh yeah they don't know 
Uh, and and as a side note, I really like that in in her write up, they write that her apparent age is six in dog years, <laughs> uh, which, which is oh. the, these kind of little silly things I I really like. Yeah, that that one, that one's that one. I'll let that one slide. Um, yeah. Also, it, yeah, it's, but, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but but just like the idea of uh, especially a gangrel who is in connection with with her animalist side, not in a way that she has lost it or just gone feral, uh, because she knows what she's doing and yeah. she has actively chosen to uh, to be a, a car knight I don't know there's a pun in there but car is knight we'll figure it out at some point <laughs> yeah we, we'll get back to you on that but but yeah that that she's like yeah I'm, I'm just running around with with my dogs bro uh, but but again <laughs> Yo, dog. just it just doesn't work uh, they 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 are on the brink of something fantastic, but but they just don't they're just not there yet. Yeah. Um, it also, it says that she can't speak human uh, a, a human tongue while in her canine shape. Mm. Yet she is a mercenary who hires the services out. So I kind of wonder how she negotiates with any vampire who doesn't have animalism or enough auspics to uh, talk telepathically. Uh, yeah, well, she she probably that's that's probably if if you can't even do that, then she's not interested in. in uh, that's your, true. Um, sp- staying with Clan Gangrel, um, there's one called Hakon Anulsson, a Norwegian. Mm. I assume that the name they were going for is Hakon, uh, because yeah. that is a very time appropriate Norwegian name, which is actually still used in Norway. It's not really all that used in Denmark. I don't know if if you hear it in Sweden or if it is ve- very much a Norwegian name. Uh, well, you have Håkan, uh, you, you have them here and there. Uh, it's, it's kind of like, I would say that more my, my dad's generation. Uh, so it might be coming back because names kind of go like people often yeah. name their children after their, their, uh, grandparents. So, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's not an uncommon name. It's not very common. No. And isn't, isn't the current king of Norway called Håkan is, or is that... I think he might be. I can't. I can't yeah. quite uh, remember off the top of my head. Uh, apologies um, to to Norway for not knowing the the current line of succession. Yeah, sorry, Lars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I feel they really missed an opportunity with this guy since he came to Jerusalem around 905. But in fact, in the beginning of the 12th century, King Sigurd of Norway led a small crusade to the Holy Land. Uh, mm. the Norwegian Crusade. So I think it would have been cool to tie this character in with the Norwegian Crusade, but, you know, otherwise he's cool. And it's I think it's this character has a um, a, uh, a road of morality that hasn't been published yet, yet because it's in the next book that we're going to look at. Yeah, the road of the Ein Harjan. Yeah. yeah, so you know, we'll get to I, that. I really, I really liked it. And, and um, uh, they, they mention Uppsala, which is... Uh, or, or I would say that it's, it's actually not the city where I'm in because the Uppsala they mentioned is, is the old Uppsala, which is yeah. a few miles away. Uh, and they mentioned that he has heard news about uh, Uppsala burning, uh, which it did it wasn't the complete city, but but the, uh, that was one of the reasons why they decided to move uh, the bishopry of Uppsala from from uh, Uppsala to what was then called East Aros, uh, which then became Uppsala because they brought the name with it. Mm. Uh, so this and and that at about this time they're also starting to build the, the cathedral of Uppsala, which you have seen. Yeah, uh, yeah, really which, cool. Yeah, it's it's a cool. They they've added on it uh, or added to it through the centuries, but even back then it was uh, quite impressive. When yeah, basically, I'll finished. I'll say I'll say to uh, people who are listening, if you ever find yourself in uh, Sweden, um, go go check out Uppsala if you have any uh, interest in history. I absolutely loved visiting mm. the city, and it's thirty minutes from Stockholm by train. So uh, you know, it's it's well worth a visit. I really loved. Uh, loved the time that I spent there. Yeah, so so please do, and and if you do, give me a shout, and we'll we'll see what we can arrange. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the, the cathedral just just as a um, as a measure of of how grandiose it was or, or still is, but when it was finished, it could hold more people than were actually living in the city at the time. <laughs> That's nice. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, so. He's a he's a really cool character. Um, mm. Props for him. Of course, yeah. you know it's it's pandering to us that he's from Scandinavia. <laughs> yeah. They... Um, with Clan La Sombra, there aren't any one character I want to talk about, but I think they really dropped the ball by only having European 
Christian La Sombra mentioned, mm. given that they have already established in earlier books that the clan is influencing religion, not just among Christians, but also among Muslims. I think they should have included one of more Muslim La Sombra, especially since uh, Jerusalem is in Muslim hands in 1197. So yeah. it's just a, you know, a drop ball here. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and it would be interesting, again, to see kind of the... Um, the politics or the machinations in in the clan like okay so you're you're a christian uh la sombra who goes to jerusalem and you meet a, a fellow clan member but who happens to be um, a muslim or or even a jew perhaps like will that be a problem or or is it still that yeah it's um, clan versus religion that's that's really yeah exactly that, that could be a very interesting tool but but yeah i i agree with you yeah uh i also want to mention that clan ravnos as they're written in this book, is just plain amazing because they finally move away from mm. the quote-unquote gypsy stereotype that yeah. has plagued the clan during the Dark Ages yeah. book. Um, they establish the Bashirite group of Ravnos here, which, uh, from what I can remember in the development of the Ravnos throughout the Dark Ages uh, books, this is really what sets in motion their um, their change, where they go from the stereotype that they have had to various groups of Ravnos who came to um, to Europe earlier than uh, yeah. when the Roma uh, came. Uh, so this is the start of it, and I just have to uh, have to applaud it because it's really cool. And then, f oh, sorry, did you want to say yeah, something? Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to say that I, I completely agree. And and they uh, in in the history chapters on on the few times when they mention. Uh, Canaanites moving in, they actually mention uh, in quite a few places that uh, of the vampires in the area, there are Ravnos, which would make complete sense. And, and like you mentioned, that it's it's a nice change that uh, you have Ravnos who aren't connected solely to, to the Roma, uh, which is good for everyone involved, I, I should say. So, so yeah, I, I like the fact that they, they have something uh, else. And, um, and I also like that uh, it's kind of a running theme in the book that they, at points that they mentioned that there are vampires who comes from the east which mm. is basically the edge of of the world at this point so so you have uh, you lose some of the eurocentricity of, uh, of of the game that things aren't just happening in in europe and northern africa and and the, the middle east it's like there is a whole world yeah. out there and of course there should be vampires there as well exactly um finally in clan ventrue they make a bit of a mistake the first ventrue introduce uh, lucius trepius rufus which I think means he has red hair. Um, yeah, they do mention that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's listed as 10th generation, yet he has dominate 7, present 6. So you're thinking, well, maybe he, they made a mistake. He was supposed to be 6th generation. Nope, his two childer are each listed as 11th generation. You know, um, probably he was supposed to, given his age and everything, he was supposed to be 6th generation and his child was supposed to be 7th generation, but they, they just, they messed it up a bit there, just thought yeah. I'd mention that. Yeah. Um, so we end the book with advice on storytelling in Jerusalem, including a little encouragement that people actually read this rather than just skip it, which I thought was a fun touch because, I mean, I know that I have a tendency to often skip uh, the advice on how to run a game because, you know, I've been playing role-playing games for... Uh, more than 20 years now, but still, you know, I, I, I like that they say, uh, actually read this because the chapter does give really good ideas for uh, mm -hmm. moods, themes, and, and you know, uh, chronicles you could run. And I think it gives, a, it does a good job of giving us some interesting stuff. So I, I agree. Don't, don't just skip over it, even if you're an experienced storyteller. Yeah, and, and I agree in general because it has some of the things that we talked about that that we kind of missed from from earlier parts of the book, like the, what are vampires actually doing? They they mention like Tremere's finding religious artifacts uh, and and stuff like that, and how that influences uh, the the Canaanite society in Jerusalem. And and it's like, yeah, well, if I'm if I buy uh, if I buy a book about Jerusalem by night, that's the kind of stuff that I want from this book. So uh, so I I would actually kind of see. Uh, more of this or just expanding on it uh, rather than and, and as you mentioned as well that that yeah we, we know about the the mortal history of Jerusalem but we, we we're here for the fangs man 
so <laughs> so there there's a lot of things like that that I I would want to see um, like more of more of the the vampiric society and how it uh, how it interacts with each other and and um, other stuff uh, and and just uh, go yeah just more of it in in <laughs> to, to be fair yeah. So um, let's take an overall look at the book. When it comes to history, they really nail it, giving us mm. a good look not only at the history of the city, but also how it is in 1197, as well as the religious aspect. So all in all, I give it high marks here. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm looking through my notes and I'm, I'm going to mention a few things that, that I think we missed. But, but yeah, yeah. Like, like you said, it's it's really good. Um, there There is one thing that I'm quite curious about because I couldn't figure out and they mentioned that there's uh, a character um, Etheria who is is she she's a Bruja right I she's think. a Bruja yeah and she's, she's yeah, outside and, the city yeah and she's really old and they mentioned that to um, to get away from a marriage she didn't want to she she became a nun but it's it's like oh yeah I forgot about that yeah and uh, and if I'm not mistaken at the time there weren't really any any nuns in in the sense that we think of uh, with Abbess at at the time where she she's supposed to turn into No at that her... point monks were more like hermits living uh, outside in in yeah. the the wilderness and the first monasteries that popped up was Coptic Christian monasteries in Egypt. And I mm. think that was around 300 uh, AD or something like that. I can't quite remember. I've, I've read up yeah, on the, it at the some point. The but... were, were quite early, but, but like the, the kind of uh, nunneries where you could, oh, I, I don't oh, yeah, want yeah. to marry or, or I need to hide away my, my daughter. They, that came much later. So that's that's just a detail. But, but... Also, also, actually, um, you have to get into a time when the church was more powerful than mm. the nobles more for this to actually yeah. work. Uh, because yeah, exactly. let's say you're in the um, in the time of the of the Franks during Charlemagne. If a woman ran away to a monastery, if a noble woman ran away to a monastery in order to avoid getting married, what would happen would be that her noble father would go to the monastery and tell uh, the monastery to hand her over and they would do it because the nobles were more powerful than yeah, the church exactly. in local matters. Yeah, so so that's just uh, a small thing. But uh, yeah. a thing that I did like was that they mentioned uh, the climate and the terrain and how how different it is um, in in the area itself because it varies a lot because yeah. you have rivers and, and stuff that, um, that irrigates the land. So... Uh, at, at the time, it was actually quite plush, and, and you could probably understand why it was called the promised land and, and paradise on earth and things like that. Uh, because nowadays, it has become, um, the, uh, it has gone through a, a process of desertification in, in quite a lot, and it, it has been reclaimed in, in modern times with modern irrigation uh, methods. But but at the time of this, it hasn't hadn't really turned into this desert landscape that you often see in in modern movies um like the the um, uh what, what's it called the with um uh with legolas in oh it. um kingdom of heaven yeah thank you that, that one because basically all you see in that movie is, is desert and sand and well it wasn't really that at the time it it was quite fl quite flourishing at least in places so and and they mentioned it, this yeah that at, at places like this uh, it, it was green, and you have these valleys with with exotic fruits being grown and stuff like that. Yeah, and... it was a place where where you could feed quite a lot of people. I mean, you had cities of uh, multiple cities of anywhere from twenty to forty thousand yeah. inhabitants, which must yeah. have come as quite a shock to the uh, to the crusaders who come from places where ten thousand is like a thriving metropolis. Yeah, and and that is if if we're going into that, that's one of the reasons why why the Crusaders were kind of doomed to begin with because they couldn't, they simply couldn't muster the the manpower that um, that the locals could. Uh, so so that's kind of a thing that I I think uh, is is nice that they mention. And again, if you want to do kind of a storytelling element of this, um, like add. Add a few more exotic elements, like for example, um, and and we mentioned this previously when we talked about uh, Greece in a side quest that uh, 
that you had uh, a bit more exotic animals for quite some time. So, for example, there was a European lion that yeah. didn't become extinct until... I, I don't remember, but it's it's almost up to modern times. Like, the reason that Hercules is fighting a, a great big lion is because you had lions in Greece at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. so if you want to add more of, like... Um, natural dangers in in your um in your game uh, in in the at least out in the countryside then throw in a few lions still roaming around the area or, or things it's like actually that. kind of funny that you mentioned that because um i'm i'm currently working on a book for storytellers vault, vault called fall of Accra, which takes oh. place in this area and in one of the scenarios there's a hunting scene where i have a list of stuff that you can hunt and how much prestige you get for uh, bringing it down, where it starts with just wolves and then it makes its way through boars and bears and uh, various stuff. I can't quite remember it, but yeah, there are some, some stuff there. I think, if I recall correctly, I, I end with... Um, with uh, a griffin or something like that, because uh, in Europe they believed that uh, this area had some of these... Uh, no, it's a chimera I end with. Oh, yeah. um, because in Europe at this time they believed that this land had some of these um, beings that we now would consider magical beings. So yeah, there are there are some, some uh, exotic beasts still roaming around at this time. Yeah, so... Or, or rather, if, if you don't want... Uh, or just Adam, if if you want, yeah. because again, it's it's the well of darkness. Everything is supposed to be more dangerous and, and exactly. Uh, so so yeah, that's. Uh, I just wanted to mention that. Uh, mm. But but yeah, overall the the historicity um, is is really high marks on that one. And and again, we mentioned it earlier that they purposefully didn't include. Uh, everyone and their dog uh, <laughs> except in one case being vampires so uh, so yeah good good points on mm. that um as a setting book uh you know well written as it was i kept feeling that there was something missing something i can't quite put my finger on maybe it's because i thought the information we got about vampires was sparse and lackluster um but you know it doesn't inspire me personally to run a game set in jerusalem though i would not uh, say no to playing uh, a game in jerusalem and i could see myself using the city as a transient location in a game that that the characters uh, visit for whatever reason but not one that they stay in and one that i do a long-running chronicle uh, in uh, how do you feel about it yeah, I, I'm kind of on the fence as well because the the things that do inspire me is is like these small hidden or, or, or almost hidden little seeds like, oh, this is something that I, I want to pick up and do something with and, and this is really cool. But Which I think but, Constantinople by night did really well. Yeah, it did. But but the problem that I see with this book is that you would have to do so much with it. I, I would have to do so much work by myself <laughs> that it, it's kind of intimidating because like there's I I, I really feel like as a setting where, where you can have like this this contrast between the old and the new and and like you could I really like the image that you get that, that Jerusalem is in, in some ways this really ancient city and you yeah. can see the, the kind of the the dust of, of centuries, if not millennia, are gathering in the streets and, mm, and it yeah. can be really intimidating and claustrophobic and and you have the threat of war and everything like that. All of that is is uh, are, are themes that I really enjoy and, and like working with. But since I would have to do basically all of it by myself, I feel I wouldn't say cheated, but I, I feel that I really wouldn't get my money's worth if I buy a book about it. Um, yeah. Uh, like so, I said, I would I would love to use it as a transient location, mm. but but like like you said, there would be a lot of work involved in making it a a chronicle location. Yeah, and I I almost get get a feeling that they started out like okay, let's let's put a lot of effort and energy into the first chapter and the history and and make sure that it's good so no one can can complain about things not going wrong and and then they had less energy to do the NPCs and even less energy to do the story scenes and, mm. and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it, it, it could be great. Yeah. And I mean, we've, we've talked about it uh, at length, but the whole theological discussion section that, that is just that, that blows mm. it out of the water completely. That is so good. Mm. 
Anyway, the next book we're going to uh, take a look at is going to be good. It is Wolves of the Sea, the Dark Hmm. Ages sourcebook for the Viking Age. That could contain, that could potentially be a long episode with many many ramblings from us. Yeah. Uh, so so, do you have any last comments? Uh, no. Again, it's uh, it, it feels like it it could have been a good book, but I I enjoyed reading it. I'm I'm not going to lie about that. It's it's it was an enjoyable read, but it it wasn't really what I was looking for. Mm. Okay. Well, then it is goodbye from me, Jacob. And for me, Peter, farewell and see you next time. Bye.